thank you for coming this morning. Um, appreciate your partnership. I'm looking out at you and I'm thinking about your children and I'm saying fourth grade already, that's just a little bit crazy, but here we are. Um, there are a couple of things that I want to share with you specifically about the fourth grade program. And of course, I'm also eager to hear your thoughts and I welcome questions as we kind of work our way through my presentation this morning. The thinking behind this um, presentation was really grounded in the whole child. And since everyone loves a good quiz, I thought we would start with a quiz. And I was thinking about some of the families who actually might have been to this presentation before, because I've been doing it for a couple of years now, and I thought, oh, is it time to rejig it? Should I get rid of the quiz because they've already done the quiz? And I thought, no, no, this will be a perfect invitation for you if you have seen the presentation before and um, you have another child, an older child who went through fourth grade. Now is a great opportunity to kind of re refocus, rechannel and think specifically about your current fourth grader, bring them to mind, and answer these questions. And the answer can be inside your head. You don't need to volunteer the responses. And it's yes, no, or developing. And if you have twins, you might need to partner on, like, I'll do this one, you do that one. Um, so the first couple of questions. I said already we're going to be talking about the whole child. So two pieces of that are puberty and study skills. And hopefully you'll see how they're connected in just a moment. Building up the tension for the quiz. <laughs> Does your child follow home or school rules in the absence of an adult presence? Yes, no developing. Does your child remember to follow a routine chore without reminders? Does your child not overreact to losing a game or not being selected? Does your child spend 30 to 60 minutes on homework assignments? Do they carry out long-term projects with most steps broken down by someone else? Do they keep track of their homework materials and assignments? And finally, do they complete daily routines within reasonable time limits without assistance? Do they save allowance for three to four weeks to make a desired purchase? Are they able to shift gears when plans have to change due to unforeseen circumstances? Some people are smiling. Some people are going, hmm. <laughs> what do they have in common? They're actually all from this book called Smart But Scattered. And it's executive skills questionnaire for children grades four through five. So they're developmentally benchmarked for what fourth and fifth graders should more or less be able to do at this stage in their lives. And they're all, each question is tied to a specific either cognitive or behavioral skill that over the course of their lifetimes we're all working on. And I'm thinking about myself this morning and some mishaps that I've had along the way. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm using my executive skills, self-regulation, I need to like be ready for my presentation and so forth. But we, from the time that the children are born through their entire lives, we're supporting and coaching and giving them practice and exercising these mus muscles and developing these skills. But I thought putting the quiz out in front of you kind of gives you a benchmark for, ah, there's some opportunity, opportunity for either positive reinforcement because we're doing a really good job, opportunities for a little bit of growth. And of course, keeping in mind that there's this, 
you know, nature versus nurture. Our children are wired differently, so some children are going to come to this a little bit more easily or some areas of this more easily, and other children are going to need a little bit more support and practice to get there. Um, but these are things that we're intentionally thinking about when we think about the experiences that the children have at foot school. So whether we're talking about play in the earlier grades and our outdoor education program, or we're talking about how we think about homework in fourth grade, those are things that fold into our decision making. So why is there so much discussion about executive functioning and, and what does it really mean? Um, it's really the underpinnings of all the learning that the children do. It's really the how behind accessing the academic skills um, and content that we put out there for them. And what we know is that the number one indicator of a child's later on in life, their sense of fulfillment and happiness, is how they actually are able, able to kind of regulate their own feelings and interactions with the world and how they respond um, to executive functioning and developing those skills. So are you familiar with the marshmallow? So it, that's a perfect example of that, being able to put off pleasure. So the experiment was set up something like this where um, small children were given the opportunity to eat marshmallows and they said here's one marshmallow but if you can wait five minutes or so you can earn a second marshmallow. And the children who could wait the five minutes and earn the second marshmallow they kind of tracked them longitudinally through their lives and interestingly enough they were able to actually you know they seemed to report a greater sense of satisfaction. So again we're talking about executive functioning skills. Um, we're talking about the whole child. I think that's one of the things that, you know, if we think about our mission statement and philosophy at Foot School, we want to not just be focusing on academic rigor. I think we certainly have that, but we want to think about the other places where we want to support them and, and foster growth, and certainly executive functioning is one of those things. Um, the other thing that's interesting, if you look at these skills, you know, uh, employers nowadays are saying these are the things that we want from people that we want to employ. We want them to be able to manage their time, be creative, um, organize themselves, be initiative, show initiation. Um, and so again, lots of reasons to be exploring this and putting this in front of you. So when I think about how executive functioning shows up in fourth grade, one of the ways that I think about it is through study skills. And I've broken it into three pieces. Um, so homework, test taking, and long-term projects. So those are the opportunities that we provide for kids, or one of the opportunities that we provide for the children to practice those skills um, and, I guess, develop those skills. So there, the research is pretty clear about homework. Uh, homework, grades K through three, the homework in and of itself is really an opportunity to practice executive functioning skills. Grades four and five, the academic return on homework is about this much. In middle school, it's this much. In high school, it's this much. And in college, it gets inverted, right? So you spend more time sitting outside of class than you actually spend in class. And so there is something to be said for introducing homework. Um, and I think the, the foot school program, the way that we've approached laying out the homework is it keep, folds that research into the decisions we've made. So we don't have homework until third grade. Um, if we do offer it for children, it's, again, it's because they're needing a little additional practice or we want to coach them in executive functioning skills. Um, 
In fourth grade, you know, the, the general rule is 10 minutes per grade level. So going back to our little quiz, 30 to 60 minutes, your child should fall in there somewhere. And if they're not, if it's, they're breezing right through their homework or they're taking an exceptionally long time, then that's a conversation to have with the teachers so that we can partner and make sure that they're kind of living within those parameters. Test taking is not, it's a little bit more with a view towards middle school, and I'll share a couple of thoughts about that. Um, we, there is some test taking in the lower school and in fourth grade. It tends to be more of an organic opportunity to check their understanding. We don't send a lot of like, oh, please study and you know, really be prepared for this examination and so forth. No, it's more of a, we want to be making sure that they, they are demonstrating mastery of the skills that we've laid out in front of them, and so we're going to test them um, without scaffolding or support from the teacher to see where they fall. And then long-term projects is something that, for going into the spring in fourth grade, there are two long-term projects that the children will be engaged in, and I want to provide a little bit more information about that. So homework, here are a few tips for parents on how to support your children with homework. Much of this you probably already know. Probably the most important thing is creating a routine. So whatever works for your family dynamic and um, schedule, having a time and a space where homework is routine, routinely done. Um, finding an effective location, minimizing distraction, and maybe that's not quite as pressing now in fourth grade. But certainly as you get into middle school and beyond, you want to be thinking about how are you monitoring technology and supporting them so that they're not multitasking and, you know, texting and studying and ch checking YouTube out and so forth, but you're really supporting them so that they can focus and, and really delivering on their best. Um, there's some really clear research that that multitasking, even though they will make a good case on, you know, oh, wow, it shows you how efficient I am, it really isn't good for, for concentration and their ability to, to, to perform. Um, Workspace, routines, and then this is interesting, 18 minutes, apparently 18 minutes is about a threshold for frustration. So, you know, you might coach your child and say, hey, you look like you're kind of, you know, worked up about that problem or that thing that you're working on. Why don't you take a little break? Why don't you go shoot some baskets? Why don't you go for a little lap around the house? Do something to, so that you can kind of fill yourself back up and re-engage in a way that's going to have you um, go back to the work and be productive. But 18 minutes is kind of a framework to think about. Um, and maybe five, you know, depending on your child, they might need more frequent breaks. So that's why I have the five minutes out there. I can't manage my clicker and my papers at the same time, so. Test taking. Um, some tips thinking about test taking. It's far more better to have small dollops of practice and review of notes than it is to cram for an exam. Um, the learning is going to stick longer, the children are going to perform better. It's really important that the children are reflecting on their own learning and thinking about what do I know, what do I need help with, and how am I going to get the help that I require. And so their ability to self-monitor, test themselves, create practice tests, you know, oftentimes they'll come back to you and say, oh, can you quiz me on my vocabulary words or give me some feedback? Those are great ways for them to practice and engage and prepare for test taking. Positive thinking, if you praise them on effort. There's a lot of research, too, about the nature of praise and um, focusing more on the effort that goes into a given task as opposed to saying, good job, or that's beautiful. We want to develop a growth mindset where they realize that um, good performance is a result of effort as opposed to just something intuitively that you have or you don't have. 
Mnemonics are a great strategy for test taking, as well as visualizing. You know, come up with a visual metaphor for the cell. How could you describe that to me? What would it look like? Um, so there's a lot of strong research around effective ways to support test, preparing for tests and studying for tests. And then finally, most relevant, I think, for fourth grade are the long-term projects. Um, we like to think of backward design when we're planning units of instruction. So what's desired outcome? And let's work backwards. How can we get the children there? So you can think about the same thing when you're supporting your children if they have a long-term project. We know we need to get here. What are the steps that are going to support us in getting there? Breaking it down into smaller portions. The fourth grade teachers are going to provide you with a map and guidelines and expectations so, and a rubric so you can clearly see what the desired outcome is but also the steps along the way so that you know how you can support your child in getting there. Um, establishing timelines, keeping a calendar. I also find that for me, my work method is I have a long list of to-do. There's nothing more satisfying than, than checking it off and saying, okay, I'm making inc incremental progress along the way. And I think the kids really value that as well because sometimes they can feel like, wow, that's such a big project. How am I going to get there? But if they can see the small pieces of it and success along the way, those are um, really effective strategies. So one of the projects that the children are already, um, I think they've already received their state, and they're going to be exploring how their state is unique. They haven't received their state yet? Oh, soon. Soon. <laughs> oh, yes, OK. Um, yeah, actually, I was thinking about the sixth graders, and they have received their country, so the states are to come. Um, it's a process that's going to unfold from March to April. Before they go home on spring break, they're going to receive their box, where they can make their box map, their creative map. Um, I was asked to please make this announcement. They do not need to work on it over vacation, but in the past, some parents have said, oh, could we have it early, so if we had the opportunity, we could go ahead and do that. So please, it's not, a, it's not a, you know, please make sure this gets accomplished. It's like if you have the opportunity and you want to look at the materials and start to come up with a plan, you can certainly do that. Um, if they don't get to it over spring break, there'll be plenty of time to do it after spring break. There are two pieces. The process, there's going to be research. They're going to partner with the librarians um, and learn all kinds of interesting facts about their state. They're also going to fold in a new piece over the past two years, the immigration um, exploration has evolved. And this is the second year that the fourth grade team has explicitly taught a unit on forced migration. So their focus is, why do people move? And they folded in this unit to, to explore um, how some folks actually came to the United States and it wasn't of their own will or desire. And they've been exploring enslavement, as well as the heroes embedded in those stories and how um, in the face of adversity, they've kind of th grown and, and contributed to our um, society. So that piece about immigration and movement is also going to be folded into the state project. So they're going to be thinking about, oh, Connecticut, who actually lives here and what do the demographics look like so that they can make those connections a little bit more explicit. Um, they'll be having a creativity day. Um, there may be a plea for families to donate materials, recyclable materials, odds and ends that you have at home. It's a full day. The children spend in here and they um, actually are really practicing their executive functioning because they have to work through frustration. They have to do some problem solving and they build a landmark. 
um, it's a great day, and as there's just so much activity and hustle around it. You'll see their landmark that they um, have selected to represent their state at the state fair, which is in April. It's on April 26th, and parents are welcome to, to come and check it out. The kids are really proud of the work that they've prepared, and they'll, there'll be questions that they'll respond to and games that they'll um, have for you to engage in. So put that on your calendars. The other long-term project is um, a research project into uh, biographies, and they're going to receive a person, and they're going to explore how that person has contributed to society. They're going to be working on a five-paragraph kind of formal research paper, and then they're going to be giving oral presentations um, to each other and to younger children in the lower school. Um, it's not open for parents, but what the teachers have done is record it, and it gets posted on the their websites so you get to see their children in action. They'll actually dress up like their person and try to kind of embody them, if you will, and do, um, you know, speak, tell a little story that provides some insight into why this person has made the contribution that they have to, to the world. And that will take place in May. So what is, what is your job during this process? You will receive the, um, the paperwork at home in terms of like an outline of what the expectations are. So review that with your children, set up a calendar, um, connect with teachers if you have any questions. Um, please support us with the kind of recycling materials for the creativity day, that would be great. The blog will be up to date with information to, so you can stay abreast of that. Um, using a calendar at home to organize deadlines and check things off. Um, look at what your week is, break it into smaller increments. And again, folding into, you, you know what your own rhythms and routines are at home. So fold that into what seems manageable for your family. Um, and communicate with the teachers. Let them know if you hit some road bumps along the way or if your child is expressing some duress or frustration or something and they'll partner with you to help the the children work through it. Um, I put over here to the left let your child do their own work. Um, what we want the children to do in ha having these opportunities for research and for the creativity you know producing creative pieces is really to construct meaning and so if parents get overly involved in the construction of that meaning the parents are learning a lot and the child is potentially not and so we just invite you to kind of Remember that as you get, might, might get excited and keyed up. Um, the example that I give folks is that every time I give a presentation, I need to rebuild my PowerPoint because it's a way for me to, to build, reflect, review, and it's the same thing with our children. Um, we've had in the past, it actually since we've been doing this presentation, um, we've had really great partnership from families. I mean, we've always had great partnership from families, but um, a few years ago, there were just a couple of occasions where the pro some of the projects were clearly designed by the children and then there were other projects were, that were designed by adults and you could see the difference and the kids would kind of feel a little diminished and crushed and so again let the children do their best it's an opportunity to practice their executive functioning and to construct meaning around their states or around their um, person for their biography so I <laughs> I love this picture because I thought this is generally how the fourth graders receive the talk around puberty. <laughs> <laughs> There's some giggling and 
oh, not, no, not sure what to make of it. And, you know, it's funny, uh, last year I had a picture where the child actually looked mortified. And I thought, that's more like the parent's reaction, like, ah, oh, it's time to engage in this, in this talk. Um, it's funny, I was, looking, I was reviewing last year's presentation. I had a big note there saying, do less on study skills, do more on sexuality education. So uh, we're trying to move in that direction here. Um, I introduced the whole presentation saying we're talking about the whole child, we're talking about executive functioning. And when you think about sexuality education, um, it is a really about decision making, right? And those are all executive functioning skills, right? You want children to feel empowered and agent, have agency and understanding to make good decisions moving forward. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, you want to be the one setting the tone and delivering a message for your children. You don't want children to be getting the message from broader society, from media, or from, other, or from friends. Um, you really want to have the first go at setting the stage for your children's uh, sexuality education. Um, I put this up here because I think there are lots of different ways that foot school supports the children. So whether we're talking about sex education or other ways of managing uh, social dynamics or um, work habits, there's a lot going on here at foot. So um, a couple of new things, affinity groups, this is the second year that we've been offering that with some success. We currently have two affinity groups. One is for um, children who have experienced, whose parents are divorced or separated. And we have another one for children of color. Um, they're voluntary. The children participate when they feel like going. They're typically like once a month. Um, and it's with the parents' permission. So we've sent out an email to let parents know that this opportunity exists. On any given day, if a child says, no, Ms. Mellon, I don't feel like going to the affinity group, they don't have to go. Um, this past affinity group for the children of divorce and separation, I'm the one who facilitates that with a small cohort of fourth and fifth graders. We actually just kind of had a discussion about what does vacation look like and how do you feel about that? So some folks you know, live across different households and have to break up their vacations. Um, and then I know that Kasuth explored, uh, he shared a video with the children of color about um, Black History Month. And so there's usually something, either a read aloud or an activity and then there's just a discussion about what do you think about that and how do you feel about that and is there any questions you'd like to raise or anything you'd like the broader society or classroom to know about your experience and then we support them in those discussions. Um, our, our hope is to continue to develop that model so that we can identify other opportunities to support children. We had also piloted an affinity group for children with learning differences. Um, we're just struggling a little bit to schedule be consistent about our scheduling, but that's something we'd like to pursue more systematically. Um, the other thing that's happened in the last couple of years, too, is this partnership uh, with the Whitney Center, which has been fabulous. The kids love it, the elders love it, and the teachers are really, even though they're saying, well, it's, it's a time commitment, they're really enjoying that partnership. And then a long-standing long partnership has been the um, buddies over here at Calvin Hill in, in reading together. But I think they all reinforce social-emotional growth, models for healthy living, and um, just opportunities for nice community building. At Winnie Center? <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. That's awesome. That's great. And of course, a piece of this whole child approach is sexuality education. So let's, let's go to it. Here are the objectives for grade four. And I think really the most important objective for grade four is we want children to know that 
there's a broad definition for normal. Like, all kinds of things can happen, and it's all okay. There's nothing wrong with you, because that's what's on their minds. Am I the only one who's experiencing this? And so that's, that's how you and I, the school and parents, can partner, is ensuring that the children feel like they have a safe place where they can ask questions, explore thoughts, um, and really come to understand that, you know what, there's a huge range in what's developmentally appropriate in terms of when things happen and how things happen for you. So we're going to look at the signs of puberty. We're going to understand the changes that occur, maybe some of the social dynamics that happen. Um, Kasuth has partnered with us this year. Every year it looks a little bit different in fourth grade. This year has been more of a focus on social dynamics and friendships and what that looks like and how you should treat one another. Um, but that's also kinds of folds into puberty and changing hormones and so forth. Um, this piece about it happens at different paces, so that's part of the normalcy. Um, that I was offering, understanding how they can take care of themselves, make healthy choices, and understand the vast array of resources that are available to them. Um, this will take place in April, after spring break. Um, the other piece that we folded in in recent years is, again, under the idea of like deeper understanding around um, the human experience and what's normal is giving them a clear definition of what is sex versus gender identity versus gender expression versus sexual orientation and helping them understand that there's, they're not all the same thing, they're separate things and that there's an array of how you can show up in the world um, and at foot school we welcome everyone and, and want to support everyone in their identity. So the program happens in April. Um, the teachers will send home a letter to let you know uh, what, that it's time for that conversation. And you certainly don't need to wait until then if you'd like to engage sooner with your children. I suspect you probably already have. Um, there's an overview the first day. There's a video that the children watch. It's a dramatization of children interacting with adults and asking questions. Um, on the third day, there's sin single gender discussion groups, so the kids, kids get to write down their questions, and there's question and answer, answer session. Um, and then on the fourth day, we review the poster that I just put out in front of you to explore gender identity and have a little conversation about stereotypes, about the different ways, again, to be um, male or female in the world and that, it's, and that it's okay. You don't need to fit into a specific stereotype or box. <coughs> In grade five, um, the conversation continues. That also happens in the spring. And a lot of information gets recycled. So they hear the same messages. There are different resources that are explored. Um, there's a really dated video. <laughs> but it offers up a great conversation for the children. Uh, maybe it's time, Jim, to, to revisit that. Jim loves it. Um, there, and the reason that we know it's dated is because the way that they present um, sexuality and sexual orientation is very binary. So either you're heterosexual or you're gay and there's no in-between and, and that offers up a conversation with the kids that you know what that's what we used to think now we understand that there's a whole spectrum um, where you can fall in this continuum and so we do get into sexual reproduction in fifth grade we don't get into that in fourth grade um, and 
the kids, you know, as I said, some of the kids' response is to giggle. Some kids will come into the conversation and want to cover their ears. Um, it's amazing what they offer up. One of the, a couple of years ago, um, one of the fifth grade girls said, oh, I don't need this talk. I said, really? And she said, yeah, I, I know everything. I said, okay, well, how, how did you learn everything? And she goes, my 13-year-old cousin. <laughs> so I said, well, let's revisit it just in case you had any misconceptions. Um, so it's, it's a team approach. We have classroom teachers and associates participating. We have Carl is part of the fifth grade North Star program, so she plays an active role. Um, Colleen in the PE department uh, participates in the conversations. I participate in the conversation. Kasuth participates in the conversation because we want the kids to be able to hear from different adults about healthy perspectives and, again, that you can show up looking in sh differently in the world, right? Um, another funny story is I am one of the facilitators for the North Star group. And so in fifth grade, we break into um, small groups. In the old days, we used to just offer this for the girls because we wanted to make sure that the girls got healthy, healthy messages about themselves, um, about their bodies. And so it was really targeted for the girls. And then the girls started telling us, Ms. Mel, you know, that's really a stereotype. Why are the girls having these sessions to talk about their feelings and the boys are outside playing? <laughs> So last year we finally got wise and the programming is the same for both the girls and the boys. So it's a mixture of project adventure, outdoor exploration, as well as sit down and talk about your feelings or do an art project. Um, generally, I think all, everyone's responded really well to it. Am I off, Jim? The boys seem to have engaged really positively in these conversations. Um, but I'm setting this all up to say that, <laughs> this is kind of a funny story to tell. Uh, a few years ago we were doing an activity with the girls where we were lining up and offering some kind of um, affirmation across the line. And one of the girls said to me, Miss Mel, you know what I really appreciate about you? And I said, no, what's that? And she said, you really don't care what you look like. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm glad you have at least one role model like that in your life because it's important that, again, you understand there are different ways to show up in the world and you can still be, hopefully, effective at your job. I don't know. <laughs> so. Kids are great. I mean, you can't ask for a better, better job. Um, this is, um, so anyways, I was saying this is a team approach. So here are a couple of things you should know. In our team approach, I just want to go back to what we're putting out in front of children is uh, based on best practice. We have uh, Sexuality, Information, and Education Council of the United States does a really good job of researching what kids should know and when they should know it. And we've used that as our starting place to figure out what we can fold into our conversations and what's appropriate for them. Um, but there's some bad news. So as I said before, we tend to, some of us, not all of us, come with some trepidation to these conversations with our kids, like, ooh. Um, and we think we're doing a good job. So we think, okay, check, I had the conversation, I'm done now. And the kids are saying, I never heard they had the conversation. Nobody told me anything. I'm learning from my 13-year-old cousin or from what I'm seeing on YouTube or from other sources, but nobody ever told me explicitly. Um, and then finally, I don't know if any of you saw the piece in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago about pornography and how, um, let me look at the numbers. This will, this will motivate you to have a conversation with your kids about uh, sexuality education. Um, a really good piece about teenagers and how they are accessing pornography and how it's shaping their understanding about um, what sexuality and relationships should and, and could look like. 
Um, just give me one minute. So when they did a little bit of research and they asked parents of um, college-age students, half of the parents thought their child had seen pornography, then had actually seen pornography in their lifetime. Um, and parents underestimated what they had actually seen by 10 times. So kids are seeing really startling things um, online. 93% of male college students had accessed pornography before the age of 18. 62% of female students had accessed pornography before the age of 18. So there's, there's information out there. I'm not sure it's the information you want your children to have access to or to lay the foundation for their understanding of how they're going to engage in the world. So there's a great book. I don't know if you folks came to the talk last year. Deborah Rothman came to talk about um, sexuality education. And she has a book called Talk to Me First. And so I'm working my way through it. It's, um, it's an interesting resource. And she makes a very strong case for parents and school educators need to get to our kids at an early age with the right terminology, with scientific information, so that they get the right information about and, and understand and live up to your value systems, right? You don't want them getting other messages about this. Um, so here's the good news. Sorry, I depressed you. Yes, Jim. Uh, Michael Kaplan, who's a school psychiatrist, has a very good recommendation for this. He said, try talking in the car because you're not face to face. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> but they're trying the time of how long it's going to last. And it's just a very, it's a nice entry point. You can be serious, and then when it goes real bad the first time, turn on the radio. Um, <laughs> The other advice he offers up too is if you are if you're the carpool driver, just listen. If you want to know what's going on at school and what's going on in social dynamics, don't say anything. Just listen to the kids in the back seat because they lose track of the fact that you're listening and they will share information that's interesting. Um, so here's the good news is that despite all of the, the media that's out there and all the messages they are getting, that the number one indicator about choices children make comes from their parents. So you do want to get in there early and, and share your value system with them. Um, you have so many opportunities. So as Jim's saying, in the car, uh, it might come up. Maybe there's some lyrics. Maybe there's a TV show that you're watching, and you're like, wow, that's kind of strong. There's so many opportunities over and over again where you can work in a little message or offer up an opportunity to listen to them and, and hear what's on their minds. Um, and they really are listening. It's funny. My children are 26 and 25. And now, I know it seems like a long way away for some of you, they come back to me saying, Mom, do you remember when you said, no, 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 you were right. I'm like, oh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they are listening, right? But the, you're going to get the, the eye roll and the, oh, you don't know anything. And like that other young woman who said, you know, oh, I know everything about it already. I got the information from my 13-year-old cousin. They're going to tell you a bunch of stuff. Just keep on talking because they are listening and, and hearing what you have to say. Um, there are a couple of other things that I wanted to share with you, and this, I think this comes from, and I'll, I'll share this PowerPoint. There are a couple of great resources. One is um, what I just men mentioned, 
talk to me first. Another one is for mothers of daughters, untangled, actually not mothers, parents of daughters, untangled, great book. Um, and oh, if you want more like wake up information about attitudes around sexuality, especially what's going on in high school, then you could um, read Girls and Sex. It's really quite startling because what we know is that um, sexual intercourse is down amongst teenagers, but they're engaging in all kinds of other activities and they're not really calling it sex. Oh, that's not really sex. So it's something that, again, it might be connected to the notion that the kids are watching pornography. It's something for us to think about and say, let's, let's have some authentic conversations with our kids. So for your preteens, you can relax and know that there are multiple opportunities. You can make mistakes or you can say, you know, I don't know that. Let me think about that and I'll get back to you. You can do some research. There are tons of resources. And again, I'll post the ones that I have for you. Think about what the, your values are and what message you want to convey. Um, have a conversation with them. If they ask the question, answer it. Take advantage of those opportunities. Don't put them, up and put them off and don't come up with stories about storks and bees and other stuff. Use the, the appropriate language. Um, and you know, Michael Kaplan also offers this up. Do you really know what they're saying to you? Oh, I'm dating at school. Well, could you tell me what dating means? Oh, it means that I, when we have lunch inviting day, I go and have lunch with this boy. Oh, okay. Right, like don't overreact to what you might hear because they may not know what they're saying. Or, what they're saying is not really what you think they might be saying. So make sure you, you explore that a little bit. And I said before, um, be encouraged to be straightforward and use the right terminology. Um, if you're talking to teenagers, uh, remember what it was like to be a teenager. Right? You're really pushing for your own independence. In some instances, you think you know everything. Um, but at the same time, you've kind of um, digested the messages from your parents, so you're probably making better choices than they think you're making, right? Um, so be mutually respectful. Don't assume things. Don't assume that they're engaging in certain activities. Listen to what they have to say. Um, and as I was kind of alluding to before, don't underestimate their ability to weigh options, right? You've done, you've laid the foundation. You've done a lot of good work. They are really good with their executive functioning. They're making good choices. Trust them a little bit. Um, but know, know also that limits and, and boundaries are super important, important as you go into adolescence. Um, this is another terrific resource. Are you an askable parent? So how can you create an environment where your teenager will actually come to you with information and talk to you about what's going on in their lives or ask questions? This, all of this stuff, for the most part, is listed on um, a website, Sex and Sensibility. And so, I'll, again, I'll put that out to you so you have access to it. There are all kinds of links that you can explore. Um, that offers up language to support you. Yes? Well, I know that we've covered a lot, but I think um, this one question I had was also, um, are, do you, in the talk, do you fold in like, the idea of boundaries also? Absolutely. Like, sort of physical and like, emotional, because I think also with the advent of so much um, exposure you know, to pornography and other things that the kids are looking at, even at young ages, I mean, in, in, in my practice and also I've heard of you know, kids, they look at it at a young age. So yeah. I think Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the points that um, the woman, Peggy Ornstein, who makes in her Girls and Sex book is that 
in many situations, there aren't any good choices for girls and how they kind of show up with their identity. They're either kind of cast as prudes or overly sexually active. And so, and she said that, and that's a function of media and what people are consuming on TV and so forth. I guess I'm saying the same thing. So, absolutely, you, I mean, you don't want to just talk about the physical act of sex and give them proper terminology, but you need to talk about, again, your value system, what that you want them to know about um, respect and identity and, you know, respect for others, but respect for themselves. Um, and so it's... As, as broad as a conversation can be. And that's why I say, too, you have so many opportunities to deliver those messages for your kid, to your kids. Th take advantage of them. Don't be shy. Absolutely. That's, I, you know, I, when I think about these meetings, I think that I'm not necessarily offering anything that's new to folks. It's just kind of a... a a call to remember that there's community and there's other families who are in the same situa situation, you know, developmentally, you've got peers who are going through the same phase, um, that lo lots of things are normal, and that um, sometimes parenting can be a lonely business. And so this is just a reminder that, you know, we're in this together, and that sometimes we just need a refresher on like, oh yeah, that's right, I, that's something I can do, I feel comfortable um, following through on those things. So this is the the, the link that I mentioned, and it has just more things than you would ever need or want, but you can explore that. Um, and then I have a homework assignment for you. So on a, if you are in a relationship with another, you can both do this activity. I would recommend that you do it separately so you can compare answers. Um, if you are in a relationship, if you're not in a relationship and you're a single parent, then certainly you can take this on and think about what, what messages do you want your child to have? Like be really clear about that and then share it with your partner or spouse and say, are we on the same page? If you're not on the same page, get on the same page and then start to have a conversation with your kids. <laughs>